Hello and welcome to the eTalking podcast. As ever, I'm Stuart Garlick and I also write for the website Motion E, uh, motione.org, which is usually the place to go for uh, electric motorsport and sustainable transport content. Uh, recently, I've been taking a uh, slight break from uh, writing and from producing these podcasts. For no other reason than because uh, we all know that we have the shutdown in some countries that we haven't. We have a full lockdown uh, because of the uh, uh, crisis that is engulfing the entire world right now. And so, while a lot of motorsport content creators have been assiduous in creating uh, superb retro content and in keeping the flow of uh, news and views going. I just found the whole thing quite overwhelming and I felt quite demotivated in a sense because uh, there was this whole kind of refuge that I took to uh, every few weekends uh, which which was motorsports and which was something that remained a constant in this um, often uncertain world and now that we don't have that uh, I need to find other things to kind of hold on to. So, um, I, I think that the way to move forward from this is to accept the situation, which I know many people have, and to be as positive as possible about it. And so, uh, I'm looking at what's uh, available to us for entertainment at the moment and I think the thing to do is to delve back into the history of um, electric motorsports particularly Formula E so th there will be uh, a series of retro podcasts coming up uh, Ryan King uh, who I speak to in this podcast has agreed to take part in some podcasts where we where we review classic Formula E races from the point of view of if they were happening right now uh, starting with the Beijing E-Prix 2014, which is where the whole of Formula E history started. So we'll be doing that, but also looking to the present and looking forward to the future, we will be covering esports and sim racing. Now, this is something that I'm really looking forward to. And I, I will admit that I'm something of a noob when it comes to online motorsports. But I, I think there's sometimes nothing more entertaining than uh, listening to someone who admits that he knows very little about uh, a, um, a uh, discipline um, learning about it. So I'm going to invite all of the esports and sim racing experts that, um, uh, that I know onto this podcast and we're going to have some really good conversation about what to look out for, which sims are the most accurate. The answer, of course, being Alexander, but I mean, of course, which motor racing sims and um, how to get the most out of the preponderance of sim racing coverage that we've got at the moment, because there's just so much being live streamed on YouTube and on Twitch that it can get quite daunting and quite overwhelming for people who maybe are used to perhaps their favourite form of motorsport being every couple of weeks or every three weeks or in the case of Formula E every seven or eight weeks sometimes. So we'll look at that and uh, we'll we'll do a beginner's guide because I'm a beginner and there are probably lots of people like me out there who'd like to know more. Anyway with that on with the uh, podcast content. Now 
Uh, in this episode, we've got Ryan King talking to me about the Marrakesh E-Prix, about uh, some classic motorsports. And uh, then we've got an interview with uh, the first ever woman uh, motorsport journalist from the Arab world, uh, Saudi Arabian uh, motorsport journalist Oprah Segal, who will talk to us about um, her views on Formula E, her views on the uh, organisation of the first to Diria E-Prix in Saudi Arabia, uh, what it's like to cover the Dakar rally and uh, plenty more as well, uh, in including um, what she thinks of uh, the development of motorsport over there and uh, how the Formula E um, races and other forms of motorsport in Saudi are pushing that forward. And uh, very soon we'll have another episode, which is a slightly longer one, uh, because I spoke in quite some detail to the motorsport artist Hayley Mulcahy, uh, known as Hayley Mulch online. And she's a fascinating person. And so our discussion went on for much longer than the hour that we planned, and I'm very glad that it did. And uh, she's going to be talking about comics and about... Um, who she thinks is the most is is the most uh, cartoonable um, of racing drivers, and um, also about um, her kind of virtual world building. That's a fascinating discussion which you've got to stick around for. Uh, that will be in the next podcast, but for this one, uh, stay tuned for Ryan King first of all. And then Oprah Segal. Uh, thank you very much and enjoy the podcast. What was the most exciting thing about the Marrakesh Prix for you? I, I guess probably um, Antonio finally getting that win that he's deserved for, well, most of the races this season, actually. Oh, it was a very dominant win, though. Man, Jean-Eric Verne's drive from 11th to, well, I should say from hospital room to starting 11th to almost finishing second. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. And it, it was really going some to imagine him racing uh, on Friday because uh, on, on Friday, for those who um, uh, didn't see, um, he had to miss first free practice in the shakedown uh, because it turned out he did just have severe flu. Uh, and um, he stepped into the car for Saturday. But, um, yeah, um, so the, the way an E-Pre weekend works, or an E-Pre day works, uh, you essentially need to be spending every single lap of every single session setting the car up and reporting back on data. And um, he wasn't able to do that for two sessions. So to, to haul the car up to third with what was essentially a basic setup, um, that's something almost none of the other drivers could have done, I imagine. No, and it was kind of a weird circumstance where uh, free practice one was on the Friday before the race instead of being on race day like it normally is. Yeah, which um, in the end gave Jev something of a way back in, which he wouldn't have got otherwise, I suppose. Yeah, because if, if he had... if. If the race had taken place on Friday, we'd be talking about how James Rossiter had his first Formula E race. 
Well, yeah. Um, so J- poor old James Rossiter uh, did the Friday first practice session. And because he participated in an EPRI weekend, he then couldn't take part in the rookie test, which he was scheduled to do for Tachita uh, the day after. Um, uh, DaCosta is now top of the table by 11 points. 11 points, quite some margin in Formula E. Obviously, that can turn around in a moment. Uh, but... Um, for Mitch Evans, it was damage limitation after that uh, qualifying faux pas, wasn't it? Oh my! Like it—it it was shades of the 2019 Italian Grand Prix, where they sent him out near the end, hoping that hey, if he, like, Evans himself said he believed he had had a small margin to make the line, but by the time he got around, he was too tense down. Yeah, and um, it, actually, it, it was it was shades of Lotterer missing out in Berlin uh, because he claimed he was blocked by Degrassi, except that this time there was no Degrassi. <laughs> there was no Degrassi. Oh, it it like I understand why they put it off so late. That you know the track evolves so quickly. You want to be the last person out on track, but. The, the gap between being the last guy out in track and not making it before the session ends is so small that sometimes it feels like it really isn't worth it. Well, yeah, indeed. Um, so Jean-Eric Verne, I think we can say, is is not out of contention for the title because um, um, if, if you look back to season five, I believe he was in worse shape than this going into Sanya round six. So um, actually, you know, he can still stage an epic comeback. Um, would you say the difference is that this season he's got a teammate who is bang on form, so it's going to be more difficult to do that? Uh, yeah, you can make the argument that it would be more difficult to do that, especially when his team is the person he's chasing down, though it it might help in certain situations to have your teammate at the front of the field, probably with you where you hopefully we don't have a repeat of Mexico, but you know, it's better to have someone that you're comfortable driving around than someone who's racing you hard on another team. Hmm. And um, um, can the two Tachita drivers trust each other um, in, in this sense? Because um, they, they seem to work together incredibly poorly in Santiago then in Mexico there seemed to be an attempt by the team to use their pretty much equal speed to their benefit by playing a slipstreaming game that didn't work out uh then uh they they used the fact that Jev was uh well obviously coming through the field and was uh um, a um, having to use up more usable energy to effectively use him as as a battering ram and as a block uh, to prevent Gunter getting past and eating into DaCosta's lead. But um, presumably they won't be able to play that team game every race. So what what do they do the next time that both drivers are in an equal state and are both challenging for the same position? Oh, I... I, I don't know because the minute you like the minute you tell your driver to do anything in that situation, they're going to feel like if if they clearly don't see that it that your order is benefiting them, they're just going to assume that it's benefiting their teammate. Yeah, and uh, th- 
there, there seems to be an almost Hamilton Rosberg atm- atmosphere in that team. As, as, as much as the, as much as they played the game incredibly well uh, in Marrakesh, uh, I I just can't see that continuing through the season. Of course, you know um, this this might all be a moot point because we might just have seen the season finale. Um, so I, I've, I've got to ask you, you know, um, I, I have every plan to get very good at Skyrim um, if there's no Formula <laughs> E until uh, next season. But what what would you do if Formula E was cancelled? If Formula E was cancelled, uh, I would... Just until I would season tr- 7, you know. I would try to petition everyone at Formula E, hey, let's bring back the E-races, second half of the season, online in R-Factor 2, Formula E. Oh, yes, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in fact, uh, I, I, I read a tweet uh, from Rob Watts of Inside Electric fame. Um, um, apparently, Jerome D'Ambrosio was late for their podcast interview because, uh, quote unquote, he was trying to beat Robbie Williams' lap time. <laughs> That's something you don't hear every day, is it? Nope, it's not something you hear every day. Uh, but yeah, I, I'd say if, if we really can't do the rest of the season, let's just let's just play it out in our sims. I, I, all the teams certainly have sims in their factories. Let's do it. Well, it would give us all something to watch, and yeah, I mean, if 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 we're going to be stuck in our homes, we may as well be watching some racing, even if it's sim racing for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know we're not constrained by logistics anymore. We could have all the teams enter in a third car, just like hey, just just pick any driver you want, stick it in the third car for this e race. Let's make this championship interesting. And we're still promoting zero emission motorsport. We're just promoting a different kind of zero emission motorsport. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, I, I mean, in, in in all seriousness, you know, uh, while while Rome looks severely affected by coronavirus. Um, and uh, Paris looks at least minorly affected. Um, Berlin, I think, has, has has yet to have its first case, and London's only had one reported. So th- th- there is still still a possibility we can maybe finish the season at least, and I think that's the best we can hope we can hope for at this stage, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's being reported that it's heavily rumored that uh, Rome, Seoul, and Jakarta would be cancelled, mm. but Berlin and New York would be expanded to double headers. So, in terms of net races, we'd only be down one race. All right. So, um, assuming we get, assuming we do get some races um, in, in the rest of this season, there there are some drivers who have been not at the races so far or have have been quite away from contention now um in 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 some ways alexander sims shouldn't be in this conversation because he's had well he's had his first win and he's he's had some brilliant showings but he's gone off the boil in the last couple of races and um i i wonder if that's just because max gunter is shining particularly bright and is thoroughly confident or is is something about Sims more liable to, you know, get him a good couple of races at the start and then and then go off the boil later? Oh, I, I'm not particularly sure because, like, I wouldn't say it's just a Sims problem. It's just that Max Gunther's peaks have been a lot higher than Alexander Sims. And to, to, drivers who are genuinely having an absolute mare of a season. Um, I I hate to talk about Felipe Massa in this context. Yes, well, where. 
Felipe, it seems like I, I don't know what's wrong. Where it's like it, it, it's it's not the car. It's not the car. Uh, but it it seems like he just can't really get to grips with the style of racing in Formula E. Which happens to a lot of people. Um, I, I I think he was brave to give it a go in the first place, given his high rep- reputation from F one. Um, I I think he was, I I think he was right to give it a second season because um, usually drivers take a while to learn, but um, it doesn't seem to be getting any, any better for him. Um, ca- can we assume that he will probably step aside for another driver at the end of this season? Maybe a Norman Nato, for example. Like, I, I'm not sure if he would step aside, considering that especially to Venturi, that Felipe Massa is undeniably a massive name. He spent, you know, almost 15 years in Formula One. Like, he is a household name no matter where he is in the grid. Mm. Well, he, he is, but then so is anyone called Leclerc, for example. Who I... I, I don't know if Arthur Leclerc is ready for Formula E. He probably isn't. Um, so, Arthur Leclerc, um, the younger brother, I think, of Charles Leclerc, am I right? Yes, the younger brother. Like, the only reason I... Like, the way I remember it is re- remembering the Peak brothers and how there's Charles and Arthur Peak, and Charles is the older one. Ah, right, yes. <laughs> That's that's going back a few years now. <laughs> yes. By by the way, what happened to Charles Peak? Uh he went into sports car racing. I I do believe he's actually retired from racing now. He, he was a genuinely decent F one driver. I, I felt sorry for him, you know, um, sl- slipping off the back of the grid like many people do. Yeah, it it it, it was hard being at. Uh, the what I like to call the expansion teams, the teams that came to F1 thinking that they were going to have a cost cap, as did the great USF1 as well, um, which uh, <laughs> dearly missed. Um, but by the way, for anyone who's listening to this podcast and wants wants to delve into old F1 YouTube, uh, there is a great series that was put together by someone using a voice, um, using a text-to-speech program on a computer. Um, it was the USF1 story. Um, have you seen it, Ryan? Uh, no, I have not seen it. I do know the story of USF1, but I haven't seen that particular video. <laughs> I, I will send you the series of seven videos. It, it's, it's, <laughs> essentially, it focuses on focuses on how Peter Windsor can't build a car, but he can build toasters. <laughs> yes, the famed USF one toaster. Oh, you know about that? Okay, great. Yes, yes, I know. I know the story of the team. I do, I haven't seen those particular videos. Uh, okay, okay, but yeah, so. Massa having a difficult time, but you still think that he probably will get another chance, yes? Yeah, considering that, uh, I don't know, it's it's a weird circumstance with Arthur Leclerc where uh, 
he, I think, going into this year, he has a full season program with Prima in in Formula Regional European Championship, and like, if he does well, yes, he's good. He's he would be prepared for Formula E, but having a good season in Regional Formula Three with Prima probably means he still has a shot at Formula One. It's kind of like that weird dichotomy of of a driver being, you know inexperienced performing well in the junior series they're probably looking at formula one not formula e until the door to f1 closes mm, probably um w- will, it, will it ever come a time when people perhaps like mitch evans and like max gunter focus on formula e to the detriment of f1 i would say maybe it, it may be sooner than we think especially with how young the drivers are in Formula One, where it's where it feels like we're getting to a time where, uh, say, Max Verstappen was what, 18, 17 when he came to F1, and he's going to have at least 20 years in Formula One guaranteed. If F1 gets just a slot of just really young, just 18, 19 year olds, they're going to completely shut the door to get into Formula One where there's just no seats available. The door in F1 is very much only open to drivers under a certain age these days. And um, it's not so long ago that drivers would come into F1 or, you know, sports car racing or IndyCar or whatever, age 24, 25. Um, In fact, I I, I was looking at... uh, I, the fact that Mario Andretti is 80 today, um, as we record. And, <laughs> and he I, was racing in the 90s. <laughs> well, and I, I did a count back and I thought, hang on a minute. That means that when he signed with Alfa Romeo in 1980, he was 40. And when he yeah. won his world title, he was 38. I, I, was, I was thinking, so that would mean he came into F1 in his late 20s. That it's a completely different world if you look back at the late sixties, isn't it? Yeah, it's a completely different world, especially uh, in in North American motorsport, where we still have that to a certain degree. Where it's like, hey, uh, Takuma Sato is still a frontline racing driver over here, and he's in his mid forties. Well, and um, Kyle Busch is now talking about doing doing Indianapolis when he's in his late thirties, I believe, isn't he? Yes, and I don't know. I I think that's where F like F one's heading younger. To I would say to make a comparison here in the U S. where between professional like the way professional basketball is played and the way college basketball is played, where college basketball is played at a lot higher pace than professional basketball, mainly because the coaches know that these these younger players not only have like just the physical endurance and youth to just play faster for longer, but they know that, Hey, these guys are not going to be here in college for that long, like four years and it's over. It feels like to a certain extent, I don't know if it's going to catch up with these drivers, but it feels like these teams are like, just, just push them as hard as we can. Everyone in sport gets a short career, uh, racing drivers, perhaps, more than most at the very top level. So you get people like Robin Freins uh, doing um, 
double Formula E and DTM. Uh, I believe other drivers are this season as well. Uh, Certainly, Brendan Hartley has a deal whereby he will skip Formula E to do WEC. Uh, Nico Muller is going to skip Formula E to do do DTM with Audi. Um, How how do these drivers avoid burnout? And um, is, is burnout a serious question when you're doing that many races in a season? Yes, where, uh, where I think the last time where we had drivers doing multiple series at once was say uh, the late the late sixties. Most famously, Lotus competed pretty much everywhere, and one person who was their lead driver at the time made it pretty clear he was going to retire really young, younger than pretty much everyone around him. Jim Clark, mm-hmm. where. Jim Clark heavily implied that he was going to retire in his uh, in like his mid thirties when at the when at the time that was absurd. Welcome, yeah. Oprah, to the podcast, and thank you for coming on. Oh, you're welcome, Stuart, and thank you for having me. I'm Oprah Sagal, and uh, uh, here in Saudi Arabia, and I'm the only and the first uh, motorsport journalist in Saudi Arabia, and like I say, in the Arab uh, region, you know, in in total. So, um, you know, motorsport, it's my passion, and it started when I was young, because a long time ago, I wanted to become a racer, or, you know, a a driver or a racer, female but, you know, being in Saudi Arabia was something we can do it at that time. And uh, after that, you know, you know, I loved motorsport when I was young, very young. And I, I've been like watching it long time ago. And uh, once, you know, I couldn't come to become a racer. I just wanted to become, you know, I decided to become a motorsport journalist, which is, you know, I I could say it's the same thing, but it's not the same thing, but I can deliver the the motorsport, uh, you know, uh, uh, how to say, the culture. And, you know, I love the watching it through, you know, TV uh, back then, you know, TV was very a little bit hard, but I used to catch the newspaper back then. And then, yeah, I uh, I became like more in love in this motorsport, knowing, and I wanted to know more about, you know, in technical, how these cars, you know, works in Formula One, because Formula One was the beginning, you know, after that, you know, you know, I became a motorsport journalist by writing and some websites because long time ago I I lived in Malaysia for you know how to say for a short time I can say around five years like that and uh, you know I have covered I I had the the privilege to cover the first uh, as well you know you know uh, the, the 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 event were coming you know the the the, the event that coming uh, to Malaysia at that back time which is the Formula One, and uh, yeah, I used to write in some websites, uh, as well for the university websites, uh, to talk about the Petronas Mercedes back then in 2010, when they're, they're in, in their dubious, dubious, yeah, when the, you know, the, the first time that Mercedes have came here, I mean, to Malaysia, you know, that time, so I was, um, it was an amazing time. 
uh, I had that back then in Malaysia. I, I saw uh, Michael Schumacher back then uh, with the team the, for the first time in 2010. I saw as well uh, Ross Brown, who was the technical director for the Mercedes AMG. And since then, I wanted just, you know, to uh to to, co to continue what i started there you know that was in personal meeting them but before that i used to write in websites well indeed and um yeah. I, I i would imagine as well that um it um w w while it was um i guess we can say unconventional at that at that time for a woman to become a motorsport journalist uh, in saudi arabia uh, yeah. pro pro probably now there are other uh, women who have been inspired by you and are uh, wanting to become motorsport journalists as well would you say yeah there is a lot actually um, um motorsport actually it's a something you can actually easily uh, fell in love with this because it's not something it's not like football we could say uh, motorsport we're still having a lot of uh, problems you know to uh, to know about motorsport if we if we are not even only i'm not talking about women i'm talking about men and women because it's not easy to learn about it uh, you have to know it long time ago you have to know you have to have the base uh, or the basic you know information about the motorsport so you can fall in love with this sport so you can just go in on so you can just keep it on uh, as a passion it's not easy to cover motorsport you know news and stuff because you have to know it very well and for a woman it's very it's also it's a very interesting thing you know for a woman to know all this stuff uh, because it's not because we are the same men and women um, i'm not saying that there is difficult different things between them but in, in, if we talk in our regions, I think there is no, it's not that big, you know, uh, uh, interested stuff to be a motorsport journalist, but I am doing my best to keep them and put them, you know, on the good track to love them, to make them, you know, to make them passionate about the sport. Because as well, you know, in Formula E uh, last season, I became the ambassador of, uh, you know, Dare to be Different uh, in, in section, the media section to, to encourage young ladies and young girls, you know, to love about the motorsport, uh, especially in the broadcasting and about, you know, and writing. And it was a, such a privilege and an amazing uh, experience for me to teach them what motorsport, what in, you know, motor journalism and motorsport it's look like. So yeah, I, I it was uh, an amazing uh, uh, three days I had uh, in Formula E in 2019-20, which is this uh, season in Dir'iya. So yeah, I became the ambassador and was, you know, I, I, I actually saw a lot of young girls, very, very young girls. I, can, I could say it's, they were around five, four, until nine, ten, like around that, those years. They were very interested to become a motorsport. So I'm very happy to be their role model and to let them know more about the motorsport. Because once they started from that age, it's just like the karting for the race driver. So they can come, you know, to know more about it, yeah. You recently covered the Dakar Rally, which um, obviously came to Saudi Arabia for the first time uh, this season. But I want to go back, if I may, to... Um 
Uh, we, we've now had two Deria E3, and um, I, I would say that both of them have been very successful in terms of the way that they've been staged. But um, what, what would you say is uh, is is the impact on um, culture and on society of uh, of the E3? Is it something, for example, that people talk about um, in the in the weeks and months after that? And is it having a long lasting impact uh, in terms of uh, people being interested in motorsport in general? Yeah, okay. For the first time, if we talk in general, Saudi Arabia hosted the first ever international motorsport event competition in the beginning of 18 uh, February 2nd and 3rd was the race of champion. And I was the first only, you know, uh, motorsport journalist to be there. And I have covered that, you know, competition or the event, which was the first ever competition, which is very international, you know, the first ever international competition here to be in Saudi Arabia. That was the beginning. And at the same year, we hosted the formula, the first ever Formula E, which was the first, uh, you know, electric competition event on December 2018-2019. It was the inaugural race of the season five when, you know, the Gen 2 was introduced. And it was a very interesting thing because it was the first time you know, to be introduced, these Gen 2, the generations, the second generation of the cars in Saudi Arabia, the first, you know, the opening season. So we saw no longer change, you know, car changes or, you know, in the sport, you know, the cars became faster and, uh, you know, more than the, the first generation. Because as I remember, it was around 225 kilometers, you know, per hour compared to our uh, or today's is generation two, to t it's, it's around 280 kilometers per hour. So as we can see, the technology has been like developing and, and, and so fast and, you know, the man because of the manufacturers has been, you know, have been interested and uh, in the sport because to ensure the racing cars in the in more powerful, powerful, you know, way. So if we talk about the Dakar, you know, the Dakar rally, Dakar 2020 was the last, uh, uh, as I can say, the, the last international, you know, event. And this now, before how many days? You know, it was like in January 5th, and then it's finished on, 20, on 17th of January. So Saudi Arabia, you know, welcomes all the tourists. It welcomed all the tourists around the world because we have seen a lot of people came along with Dhaka to, you know, you know, to, to share the enthusiast of the motorsport event, journalists as well. So it has been hosting many different events aside of motorsport, you know, if we talk in Saudi Arabia in general, uh, such as musical cultural, historical, educational, all these, you know, events are going on still in Saudi Arabia. And it's a very, how to say, uh, uh, very international events. So we see a lot of international people coming to Saudi Arabia since, uh, we could say, since 2018. Uh, Dakar also, you know, was very interesting, actually, to cover there because I've been very close to the drivers, to the you know to the engineers and uh, to the uh, journalists as well you know I have seen different nationalities from around the world with an amazing hospitality we have done here and the best thing they 
they enjoy the most thing was the the food and the culture here is it's just fantastic they love the weather they love the desert they love they love everything and you know me as Oprah you know when I'm or Sagal you know when I'm interviewing them and asking them about their impression they make me happier more after you know time after time because I feel I see the smiles on their face how they are very happy about the event and how about about the culture so uh, you know many as well you know there's a lot of uh, journalists I know them apart you know overseas and whenever they come here they they like to communicate with me and ask me they always ask me how's the weather there because it's their first time to come here so they always ask me about the weather, about the culture stuff. I'm always here for them. Men and women, they always ask me. Uh, I remember m many women as well, the journalists ask me, uh, should we have to cover our hair or should we cover our face when we come there? I always tell them, no, you just feel free. It's just like your country, come here, feel free, whatever you like, it's just be happy. Uh, yeah, about the clothes, you just be a modest, you wear it, you know, wear it as a modest way you can, but don't cover anything, it's just fine. And for men, some men ask me, is it fine if we, like, uh, you know, if we wear a short or something, is it? I always tell them it's fine. Because Saudi Arabia is now, it's like, uh, it's opening more, you know, uh, it's hosting a lot of culture, a different culture from around the world, and we are happy about that. Well, um, that's that's actually interesting, and um, it, yes. it wasn't necessarily something I was going to going to mention, but uh, you know, it came up in the conversation. So, um, yeah. I I suppose uh, that there are a number of things that people um, assume, including me, I assume about Saudi Arabia. One of which is uh, um, obviously that uh, modesty means, for example, that uh, women do have to cover cover up their heads. But uh, it sounds like that's not always the case. Um, in 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 the same way, uh, I was. Uh, I was surprised to see a lot of um, um, dr drivers from Europe and a lot of TV presenters from Europe uh, at Diria uh, not uh, wearing long sleeves, for example, and, you know, un yeah, un un exactly. un unbuttoning their collar. So all of this is perfectly OK, I guess. Yes, it's very OK. As you can, you saw the TV and you have been there as well. So you just be very, you know, how to say normal. It's just like how you are in your country, you are here in Saudi Arabia. There is nothing or there is no rule saying you are you are not allowed to wear this and that. So as long it's a very modest you know, like, uh, you know, a dress or a shirt or something. A woman, the most important thing is that because they worry about, about they worry about that, which is women should be covered their head. No, it's not. Their face. No, it's not. Just be as, you know, happy you are. You can come here. And as you saw, um, maybe we can see even in many different events and Twitter if we see, because it's not only motorsport, there's a lot of events is going on here, which is the winter, for example, like uh, winter, there's a lot of winter events going on. If we go there, I see a lot of international people who came around, across around the world, from Europe, from America, they are just happy what they are wearing. It's just a normal thing. Women are not covered. They are just wearing a modest clothes, and that's fine. Yeah, but you know what I love to see these women, especially women, when they are come here, 
they love to wear the traditional the traditional clothes of Saudi Arabia. So I see them, they they are the ones who love to wear abaya, which is the, you know, the, the veil or the black veil that they love, you know, the the, the, the Saudi women who wear. Yes. So they love to buy it and, and just feel like you are in the traditional place, you are in the culture, you're living the, you know, the dream or the, you are in the culture with the people you came for. So they like actually to buy it or just, you know, to keep it for a gift for their family, maybe then when they go back. And uh, it's very amazing to see them. They are they're loving our culture here. Yeah. Well, this is definitely an interesting conversation. It's it's very nice yeah. to it's it's very nice to be able to uh, you know travel through podcast as it were because obviously I, I haven't haven't yet visited the area. I would uh, be delighted to when they stage the EPRI next November. We'll yes. have to see, but uh, it'd be something I'd yeah. like to do. But um, if, if, so, if I can um, if 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 I can talk about the EPRI a bit more, obviously it was part of the Diria season, which was uh, an entire an entire month of cultural events. But uh, um, I, after the EPRI, uh, there was a fairly big concert with uh, Imagine Dragons and Clean Bandit. Uh, is, is this the kind of thing that uh, visitors to Saudi Arabia can expect more of? Um, are there um, are, are there a lot of these uh, Western bands coming into the country, and will they increase now that the visa rules have been relaxed? Yeah, actually, these international musical events has been coming since uh, uh, to t- since the first Dariya uh, Ibri, and it was very interesting to see all these international singers coming through, you know, from around the world and come here to the stage, and people were welcoming and very happy, and you know, the the enthusiastic was just something we cannot even you know uh, explain. And after that, in Dariya, the second year, which was the two rounds, we've seen a lot of also, uh, uh, you know, the musical stages here as well. And it's not only there because it's not related with the motorsport, because if we talk in general, there was another um, event which called a Middle, Middle Beast. And we have seen a lot of international DJs that I can't even call their all their names because there are a lot. So, uh, it, yeah, it was something very welcoming, very something welcoming. But I can say I can say it was the beginning was from that time, from the first Dreya Ipri. Yeah. All right. Um, so if we if we talk about uh, more, more generally the uh, development of motorsport in Saudi Arabia, obviously it, obviously it is happening, and we'll we'll talk later about uh, one of the uh, drivers. But um, yep. but um, um, obviously uh, there, there there is um, a, a bid for a Grand Prix in Saudi Arabia, and there is a purpose built circuit being planned at the moment. But uh, as, aside from that, if we talk about uh, the lower levels of motorsports um, how easy is it for anyone to get into motorsports and um, how many circuits are there around the country and um, what what is Saudi Arabia doing to develop motorsport all right uh, if we talk in general like how motorsport is growing in the kingdom all these because of the vision of 2030 and since, you know, women driving ban was lifted in 2018, we witnessed a lot of mo- women, you know, competing in local motorsport events such as drifting. They go, go, you know, drifting and karting as well, rally. 
local events of rally and other local competitions. So if we talk about motorsport, you know, is um, you know, back in Saudi, you know, if we like uh, very precisely, or if we talk in general, in general, um, we if we go back in Saudi Arabia and history, international motorsport, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia was the country who sponsored the Williams Formula One team owned by uh, Saudi Williams. Yes, Saudi Williams. So Frank, you know, Frank Williams. So Frank came here in Saudi Arabia. And as I remember, it was in in the end of 1970s. And, you know, uh, his team faced financial troubles, as, you know, my father and my family told me back then, uh, so, you know, they met here, they came, he came here uh, to meet Saudi entrepreneurs, uh, which were, you know, Saudi airline and Al-Bilad hotels, because, you know, uh, and, and, then, and then after that, they became the main sponsor for the Williams team. Anyway, you know, the team became uh, Al-Bilad Saudi racing team and won the 19... I think it was 1980, yeah. The 1980 driver's title with Alan Johnston, Australian, the Aussie guy. So if we talk in motorsport, you know, motorsport is not something um, new to Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia always been here for, you know, the motorsport, in the motorsport. Their name wasn't like a very, it's not like a country we could say it's a very new, motorsport is very new to Saudi Arabia. No, we've, we have been in 1970s, early back then, and we have sponsored such like Williams team. And uh, um, I think you have asked me about the, uh, was it motorsport or something else? Maybe? So I, was, I was asking you about um, uh, whether the EPRI and the potential future Formula One race are, um, are, somehow, are, are somehow stimulating the development of motorsports. Yeah, so the development, I was talking about the history, the history back then. So, um, um, if we go back to the last year, you know, we wanted to make everything in double. So we made, you know, uh, with a double action, double excitement with double, you know, entries of German and manufacturer, uh, manufacturers in the Ria last year. And, you know, as we saw Porsche and Mercedes for the debut in Saudi Arabia. So we saw how competitive the both team were they here. here. And um, so we saw Lotre on the podium. So, uh, you know, Lotre and Philippe Massa, always they come here. As, uh, you know, in several times I, I have met them, actually. So they are, um, you know, as we know, Saudi ambassador. So, I, you know, whenever I see them and whenever, you know, I talk to them and ask them about the uh, Saudi Arabia, they love the food and the most thing. Uh, and they love as well the layout of the area. They love it so much, the most you know, we talk about the Formula E. And uh, Formula One um, in the car, to, you know, the last day of the, uh, it was the last day, yeah, 17th of January, the car, this, you know, the, the, the closure ceremony, I was there. We have seen the F1 drivers here and uh, in the car 2020, where, you know, I, because, you know, the, Daria Ibri will gonna be here in Saudi Arabia, but we are not sure about when it will gonna be to host the Formula One uh, Grand Prix uh, someday. So we are not very clear about when it will gonna be. But it was I was delighted to meet all the drivers. Uh, 
the Formula One drivers that were here, uh, like Damon Hill, uh, Roman Grosjean, and uh, yeah, and uh, the others as well. So they were very happy about the Saudi Arabia. And as we can see, there is a development in motorsport coming here. And uh, yeah, so yeah, we can we we could say that the circuit the circuit is on the way to to be. To, to be prepared or to be ready, yeah. Uh, of, of course. And um, are, 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 you, are you seeing an increase in, uh, for example, uh, drivers at the bottom of motorsport, for example, in karting, um, um, com coming in because of the increase in uh, international activity? So, for example, um, are, are, you, are you seeing more families buying carts and going down to the local karting track? Is that, is that the kind of thing that you're seeing more of potentially in the country? Oh, so you mean the local people? Um, yeah, like, uh, um, um, is is it uh, creating more of a large motorsport yeah. scene for more it's drivers? Really, it really is. It really is because I can see even before the event, uh, the first international, there there were family actually aware of what motorsport is, and karting all all the time used to be here. So we have a lot of circuits, international circuits here, such like Rim circuits here in Jeddah we have like um, also two circuits over there and there is a lot of and, and mini um, car, uh, you know um, mini karting circuits so before even the international events come here there's people as I said aware of what is motorsport and know about it and some families being you know competed in motorsport events around the region not in Saudi Arabia but could be internationally or uh, in the Gulf countries like, you know, Bahrain, because we have Bahrain, uh, we have a very uh, close border to Bahrain, which ho hosting the Bahrain Grand Prix, as we know it, which is very popular. So, yeah, uh, families and a lot of uh, kids are growing r right now, um, knowing more about motorsports. So I see them, they go to the karting schools, uh, both gender, young girls and young boys, and I'm very happy and very delighted to see this because this thing will gonna, you know, bring you to another, you know, to open up to a, a new future to see young Saudi people, you know, Saudi guys or girls, they're gonna, you know, uh, to see them on international motorsport in future. And um, if, if we focus on one driver in particular, I, I think um, everybody's uh, impressed that. Uh, uh, with with the progress shown by Rima Jafali, she's um, she she um, she she's she's had some promising results. Uh, she um, she she appeared uh, for one race in the British Formula Four Championship uh, last yeah. season, and uh, this time around she's doing a full season in the uh, UAE Formula Four Championship. So she's the first ever woman um, uh, Saudi Arabian racing driver, and I, I wonder how much of an impact do you feel? That that will have on um, on the country. Obviously, um, a as a country, it's going through a lot of uh, positive changes. So, uh, mm -hmm. is, is this going to encourage uh, more more women to follow into in, into motor racing and um, into other disciplines involving driving? Do you think? Yeah, exactly, Stuart. As you know, we know that Rima Jafali has made a history. You know, has made a history to become the first Saudi female to drive competitive competitively in the kingdom here in Saudi Arabia behind the wheel of her Jaguar. 
you know, last uh, this uh, the beginning of this season of Formula in the, uh, E in, in the IPC Trophy. Yes, as the VIB driver in the Jaguar IPC Trophy, as you said. So it was a very the name was very how to say uh, very big you know for the young girls to see Rima, which is like a, a lady who was gonna drive an international event. It was very amazing. It was very happy. It was something that what made them very exciting because when you see young girls and, or, or another you know girls to compete in such in, in very international. Uh, motorsport we're gonna lead you we're gonna make you uh to 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 follow you know to be like she's a role model for young girls to to follow them and uh, to follow her i mean yeah so it was very happy um rima japali has done a very amazing results in all where she had been competing uh, in uae or in formula four in british so it was yeah it was very amazing uh, we have seen the media, you know, uh, talking about her. I have talked to her personally. It was such like a happy and privileged to see a young uh, lady who's from Saudi Arabia to compete and to present to be a representative to her, you know, country. Yeah. Yeah, um, of, of course, uh, she, she, she went to university in the United States and I, I was reading that she got her driving license in, I think, 2010 when she was a student uh, in uh, North, um, uh, Northeastern University. Uh, but um, so she, she's had to wait uh, quite some time to begin her motorsport career, but uh, she certainly seems to be showing some showing some promise right now. Um, so I, I guess uh, what what you're really looking for from this um, um, as as, as a country and maybe as a journalist as well is uh, um, for um, for Rima to inspire um, more Saudi drivers into international competition. She's actually inspiring a lot of girls in Saudi Arabia, not only even in Saudi Arabia, but the Arab, the whole Arab region, to see you know such like a young lady who's uh, competing, you know, like how to say, uh, she's uh, who's competing, you know, she's in yeah, like a competitive, very competitive girl who's competing in modern sport. Uh, she uh, and as uh, you know, we know that she is doing um, a full time mo in motorsport. Like she's all the time in motorsport and. A lot of media here in Saudi Arabia and in Arab region, they do all the coverage of it. Uh, so she's an inspiring person. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and um, if, if I can um, uh, ask you as well about your experience of uh, covering the, the Dakar rally, because uh, it, it's... Obviously, a very different kind of kind of event to cover to a circuit racing event. Um, at Formula E, uh, you go to the media center and maybe you go to the track side, and all of the information is there for the journalists. But at the Dakar, um, I would imagine you have to do a bit more uh, work to actually find the drivers to um, to follow them and to uh, you know see exactly what's happening just because of the sheer distances that are involved. So, um, what what are the major differences would you say between covering uh, track racing and covering the Dakar rally in terms of being a journalist all right okay uh, if we talk about the uh, in general uh, first of all you know to Dakar 2020 was the first time to host to be in host you know in Saudi Arabia so uh, Dakar 
it's something I always read in, uh, you know, in, in newspaper all the time. And we used to just cover it by, you know, not being there as a person or to come to go there. But it was something I always wanted to cover it. And when I come here in Saudi Arabia, I was the most happiest journalist, I can say, to come here and to, to, to get the experience to cover it from, from a very close, you know, seeing and, and asking all these drivers. I have been following the car since the beginning, even before they come here in Saudi Arabia, because we have, uh, we have been... Uh, uh, how to say um, we we had yeah we have we had a lot of uh, a, a press conference b before this I think it was like around three time and we have seen the drivers came here before even hosting the the, the event itself so there is a, actually a lot of differences because this is an off road and this is not you know it's different it's 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 on the circuit which is whether it's a, uh, if, if it's Formula One, it's in a circuit, and if it's in Formula, it's a street, in a street circuit, and there is a media center. As well, it's the same thing here in Dakar, but maybe there is a little bit uh, differences because uh, the, the the differences is here you are you staying in the media center, and whenever you want to go to the circuit, you can go there and just see some drivers maybe to catch some photos or something. But in the car, you have to follow, you know, in the start, in the beginnings of the start of the road and at the, at the finish to be there and to uh, take the quotations there from them, asking them how was uh, how was the uh, the stage, uh, you know, right after he opened the car, you have to just follow the driver and ask him. And uh, yeah, it was something very, ex how to say, exhausted a little bit because the drivers come after like hundreds of kilometers uh, riding all this, you know, time or, or, or driving all this road, I mean, and asking them is very hectic. You can see them, how they are very tired. And uh, it was very interesting, uh, very interesting, uh, how to say, um, experience for me because this is, was the first time to see them. Uh, in, in you know, competing uh, in off-road, uh, how to say, yeah, the off-road, uh, uh, this challenge is actually more difficult more than the other competition if we compare to Formula One and Formula E. So, yeah, these are the little bit changes, but other than that, there is no, the same thing. We're just right there, and the... Uh, uh, you you will be like how to say covered in a very desert, you know, like you'll be in dusty, dusty. It's not that clean as a Formula One or Formula E. So maybe the difference is just the weather condition. Yeah. Well, okay. And, okay. Um, I, I'd, li I'd like to also ask because um, the um, theme of some of this podcast, at least, will be about uh, you know uh, tra traveling um, with with motorsports and you know the um, t tell uh, telling a bit more about the venues that uh, motorsport and Formula E in particular goes to. So um, obviously, I like uh, many people in Europe have seen the. Um, 
Saudi Arabian tourist commercial which uh, came out last October and November and was promoting the country on YouTube and um, it, it really gave me a different impression to um, all of the guides that I had read because um, that they were all about the cities they were about uh, you know staying in Riyadh staying in Jeddah and about what it's like there but uh, I, I, I really had no idea that there were so many for example ancient monuments and so many uh, places to go in the desert that were were um, interesting to look at and had uh, you know hundreds or maybe even a thousand years of history so uh, is, is this um, something that uh, now people are being encouraged to look at and is it something that is easy for a tourist to reach if they uh, if, if they wish to you know book a tour into these um, more ancient parts of Saudi Arabia yeah actually there is a lot of tourists coming and there is a lot of events as i said before is going on until now there is a musical and cultural and historical and whatever and people around the world you know love to come here in saudi arabia to experience the culture here here and and the historical because we have a lot of historical events i mean like places and locations uh, such as like Dir'iya, which is in the unesco heritage and uh, we have also Niyom. I think we, you got you have heard about it about it, uh, because uh, if we remember, you know, the road of Dakar, uh, some of the stages uh, gone through uh, very uh, very cultural and very historical locations, which was a very amazing. Uh, to see because the car 2020 as well has showed us how beautiful Saudi Arabia is seeing these you know footages from the helicopters and from the uh, you know many di many many different angles so yeah people became more interesting after the car as well because people are not even seeing these uh, footages and these pictures and these events as motorsport event they are seeing it as uh, something different like cultural and uh, historical so a lot of events are going on right now in the north of kingdom of saudi arabia and and south north there is a snow can you imagine that you know saudi arabia has <laughs> snowing yes and there is half of the part of north of saudi arabia is completely white and I have seen a lot of international people coming through here uh, from the UK, from America, from Europe. We can say just in general, came here to see the culture, how they want to feel because people from around you know, the world or outside or overseas, they all think that Saudi Arabia have only one weather, which is a very hot and very desert way, you know, very because you know Saudi Arabia is a very big country and I can say it's a very big continent because it has four different weather or four different seasons we can see the spring there is some parts of Saudi Arabia all the time it's a spring there is some parts in Saudi Arabia all the time are you know uh, how to say summertime uh, we have the beach, we have like Jeddah, if you go to Jeddah, it never goes very hot, but it's like how to say very, um, it has that uh, good uh, weather, which is with, you know, the you know, the beach, you know, uh, weather is always different than the uh, winter beach and the uh, very summer beach. So uh, people were very shocked when they come here to see all these 
Saudi Arabia, you know, the weather, whether it's in the weather, because it became like, uh, they shocked because it became like a continent, which it has everything, like all the weather, uh, you know, uh, as I said, you know, like uh, it has the snow, it has the desert, it has the summertime, it has the spring, it has the fall. So, yeah, and um, the most beautiful thing you see here is the mountains when you go there. So, yeah, that was the very interesting thing that's going on. Until now, there's a lot of, actually, I can't say all the names, but there's a lot of events going on and people are enjoying from outside. They're coming from overseas and they are enjoying it very, very well. If we, if we, because I, I'm following the following it uh, on the you know local TV, so they are just very you know enjoying it. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to the eTalking podcast, and uh, thank you to Ryan King and Oprah Segal for taking part in it this time. Uh, as I say, the upcoming podcast will feature Haley Mulcahy, Haley Mulch, and and um, also stay tuned for the upcoming content related to retro Formula E, to esports, and to hopefully what we can look forward to after this uh, situation that we're in lifts. So <clears throat> I'm looking to lift my own spirits, but also to lift your spirits. So uh, um, as I think Lewis Hamilton said once, we all raise each other up. So let's do that. Thank you and goodbye.